0: You excited? Okay, we're going to have a little quiz before, since you were here last week, and some of you, the, those who weren't, you're excused, but um, let me ask a couple of questions. Last week was all about the biblical basis of, of prophecy. What was the foundational scriptures? We don't want to move anywhere outside the boundaries of what, uh, but we, we want to move everything inside. So, when we look at the biblical basis of uh, prophecy and equipping in the prophetic, um, the handout tonight is the same from last week, but we, we only got to page one last week, so we're going to, we had a lot of scripture, so. Okay, question number one, and uh, let's, uh, Terry, can you run for me? Yeah. All right. Question number one, can you give me a New Testament scripture that reveals prophecy is for today? Anybody? <laughs> Even if you can't give me, the, give me the context, if you can't give me the, the actual location. Corinthians? Which one? Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 14.29. All right, that's it. Prophesy. Say it again, Jen. 1
1: Corinthians 14.39, covet to prophesy.
0: Covet to prophesy. Um, well, you just took another one of my true or false questions. Is Are we encouraged to covet... Or eagerly desire prophecy. Uh, yes, really? You think, and you look at the word covet, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's kind of illegal on other terms, right? Uh, coveting somebody else's land. And, uh, but in the case of this gift, Paul tells us that you should eagerly desire, most earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. Okay? Uh, let me give you another scripture. How about Acts chapter 2? Right? In the, in the outpouring in Pentecost, right? When Peter stands up, there's the tongues of fire, they're accused of being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning, speaking in in tongues that these Galileans, how can they know, and they're speaking the words of the kingdom in that particular time, and they said, well, it is the pouring out, and Peter stands up and says, this is that. It was what was prophesied by Joel the prophet in Joel chapter 2. And now your sons and daughters will prophesy old mental dream dreams, dreams, right, visions. And, and so he said, this is the last day, and that's what it was, and we're in it. And that's post-resurrection. Remember in chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus told the boys, don't leave town until the Father sends the gift he promised. And when he comes, you're going to be baptized with power and the Holy Spirit. And so those are foundational scriptures. Okay, question number three. What was Paul's reason for encouraging that coveting of prophecy? Why? Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 uh, Corinthians twelve seven says, every gift is given to build the church, right? And so that gift will edify the church, okay? Um, another one, he then gave that discussion, who can give me a reason why Paul encouraged prophecy over tongues? Not that he discouraged tongues, right? He said, I pray in tongues more than all of y'all. Don't discourage it. So why did he say he appreciated or encouraged prophecy more than tongues?
1: Someone coming into the church may not understand what the, the speaking in tongues is, but they'll understand the prophecy.
0: Right. It's for corporate revelation, corporate understanding, right? Um, the, we talked about two different types of tongues. When, when we sing in the Spirit, like on a Sunday morning or and and we're, we that you ever get in that place with a melody just like right, your spirit man is in concert with the spirits of, of the spirit of God in heaven, and there's that place. And we're speaking as in tongues of angels. There's no interpretation needed at that point, but if a person stands up and gives a a, a word in tongues, an interpreter, Paul said, should be present. And if not, if you if you have people there, they're like, "What? This is weird, right?" Tongues has been controversy from day one. Acts chapter two, tongues has been controversy, and so Paul makes it really clear that tongues is for today. Don't don't stop. But there's this place where group or corporate edification happens, right? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I, we, we have it almost every Sunday. But remember when um, one of the ladies came up and gave a corporate word about. The prophetic and what was happening in the river and all. And so everyone in the room could say, wow. Now, if somebody stood up and just started speaking in tongues without an interpreter, that could be controversial. David.
2: Yeah. um, I've got the gift, I believe, of speaking in tongues. Um, Sometimes I understand what it is, but maybe not. But how do you know if an interpreter is going to be present when you start doing
0: that? That's a really great question, especially... um, when you're trying to pastor in the midst of the signs and wonders, there, there are some folks that you know. For example, uh, one of our ladies often sings in the Spirit and then interprets, and I know she has the gift of interpretation. So when she comes up, I'm comfortable with the mic, but if someone else, like, okay, Lord, it's, it's almost by discernment. You have to just ask, Lord, because you don't want to get out of order, but sometimes you don't want to stifle. That's another question. What scripture says, don't quench or stifle the Holy Spirit, and don't scoff at prophecy? Anybody tell me what book that's in? Thessalonians. Good. First Thessalonians 5, 19 says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit, that means don't shut it down, and do not um, quench or hold back, but at the same time, don't scoff at prophecy. You ever been in places, and again, I'm not being critical of any denominations, but this full balance of the word says prophecy is for today. And we laid a whole hour and a half of foundation last week. So, but it also says test everything, right? Test the prophet, test the word, see if it wins. It, we're going to look, we're going to get into more detail of that uh, for sure next week uh, on hey, Tom, that. So, question.
3: Um, not all tongues need interpretation, right? Sometimes it's just what we use when we don't know what to pray. We yeah, just
0: if... if in the, Paul's discussion there in Corinthians for the Corinthian church, if there's a place in edification of tongues. If you're by yourself and you say, I don't know what to pray. If you ever get in a place where I don't know what to pray right now, use that gift, connect your spirit with the Spirit of God, because what's happening is you're bypassing all this stuff, right? Here, and you're going directly. And who's making intercession for you right now in heaven? Jesus he's the great intercessor right so when we're praying in the spirit man I would encourage you because he says if you have the gift of tongues pray for interpretation now however you do that this is just something I've found is fruitful for me I'll start to speak in tongues and then I'll say Lord would you let my mind catch up with what you're saying and I'll sometimes see pictures or revelation and I just that's there's a place of just I'm I'm cooperating. You have to get over this whole thing about, oh, that's a little strange. You know? Yeah, guess what? Supernatural things are supernatural. But, and we want, we want to encourage ourselves to be in connection. If you're already seated in heavenly realms, Ephesians chapter 2 says, you're already seated there with Christ. Well, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm sitting right here. And, uh, but in the spirit realm, as far as God's concerned, you're already seated in. It. It's a finished work. You're done. You're there. If you're, if you're a born-again believer, you're there. And we we'll use the language that we had from a couple weekends ago. You, when you're sitting in chair number one, you're in heaven. If you're in chair number two as a carnal Christian, you're back here on earth, right? And so, anyway. Hey Tom. Question? Right. This, is, this is stepping out for me. Um,
4: just as a practical example, I really feel prompted to do this. Hold it, hold it up. I, said, I really, really feel prompted to do this. So, Walakundika um, Shikandu, La Kurusika, Halmakurusia, La Kindiya, Halmakurusia, Halakunda, Makurusia. Well, I'm just hoping someone has an interpretation. Uh, so, um, does anyone have? Can you hear? Did you hear what I was saying at all? Okay, I'll just do it again. Walakundika, uh. hili shikandu, wakundia, halakinda, halasukundu, makundushia, likindia, halamakundutika. Hili sikandu, wakundia, hili sikandu, lakundushika, likindia, walakundika. No, that's that's what my tongue sounds like. So, anyone have an interpretation or talk the
0: Holy Spirit talking to your spirit? Anyone seeing a picture? Right. Jesus is great. Jesus is great. Is that what it says? Jesus is great. <laughs> that's good as any. Now let's. <laughs> oh, you're having trouble hearing. Okay, all right. I want to crank it just up a little bit, Greg. Um, when we're testing prophecy or testing a tongue, you're going to ask a couple of questions. One, does it align with Scripture? Jesus is great. Who'd argue with that, right? Um, pay attention to the atmosphere. That what are you sensing? Do you have a sense of peace? If there's a sense of peace, that's a good indicator because the Prince of Peace is very peaceful. So we'll just uh, encourage. We'll, we'll talk more about giftings and taking the gift apart to know, is this a viable word for me? How do I test this? We're going to do that in, a, in another session. All right, another uh, te- uh, question. What Old Testament prophet said, oh, I probably gave this away. What Old Testament prophet said prophecy would be uh, poured out on all flesh in the last days? Joel, Joel chapter two. Okay, yeah. Huh? Your favorite, okay. Okay, Now, now, now we're going to find out Okay, and if you've been um, involved in, first of all, let me, a couple of terms. What is cessationism?
2: Healing's not for today. Healing's not for today.
0: Right, that uh, cessation means that it ceased. Well, what do they speak of? When they talk about cessationism, they're saying that the gifts that were given, poured out, were not for today. Uh, One of the denominations, and actually the Bible college I went to, was a cessationist background, and they said the gifts, tongues, healing, uh, deliverance—that's not that—that that died out when the when the apostles died out. It was given for the time to launch the church. This is the argument. It was given to launch the church, but it's no longer for today. That's the cessationist belief system. Um, so now. Let me give you the Scripture. When I was in this Bible college, this was the, the, how they exegeted to get there. That's, the, that's how you take apart Scripture to dissect that to get to that conclusion. And they shoot themselves in the foot. So let me, if you'll turn with me, that means they didn't do it right. First um, Corinthians 13, let's turn there. And you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Last week when we went through this, we looked at the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, the nine gifts that are listed there by the Holy Spirit, right? Wisdom, knowledge, uh, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Those are gifts by the Holy Spirit. Those nine gifts are given as an edification of the church, Paul tells us. But then he sandwiches all of that between the love chapter the one that we, we talk about, love is patient, kind, never keeps a record of wrong. <laughs> never been there. Um, and so it's the, it's the chapter that basically says, I don't care if you, if you give all your money away, you burn your body to give, you, it doesn't count for anything if it is not founded upon love. You can do all the great things in the world, but if you don't, if your purpose behind it is not love-based, it's nada. That is humbling. And scary at the same moment. And then he goes on and says, you know, faith, hope, and love is going to, and the greatest of these is love and what will endure. But smack right dab in that, before we get into tongues and prophecy in chapter 14 of Corinthians, he says this. Let's read uh, verse 8. I'll, I'll read King, I've got a King James, and, which is the thought for thought, I'm sorry, word for word, and I have the New Living Translation, which is thought for thought. So let's look at verse 8. Charity never fails, But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. That's the foundational scripture they use in cessationism. However, you can't take scripture out of context, right? So let's read before. It's all about love. Then he goes on in verse 9. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away the childish things. For we now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, for I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. And the three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, let me read you the New Living Translation, verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in an unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, right? And so, first of all, has perfection come? Hello? No. Yes, he's the perfect one, right? And so we'll know in part. Right now, he says, you know, I look through the glass darkly, I can see, I understand in part. Um, We prophesy in part, we see things. So we know for sure, knowledge hasn't stopped. I mean, did we give up on knowledge? No. Um, Perfection has not come yet. So in the description of those who had difficulties um, with gifts, this is one of the scriptures, see, they ceased. They're over. But if you take the whole balance of scripture, which we're going to do, we're going we're to look at a lot of it, that is not correct in my humble opinion. All right. Um, and then we pick up, and you see, and we went through uh, uh, quite a bit in First Corinthians 14, he declares in verse 1, let your highest goal be loved. So he reemphasizes it again, but then he speaks of the special abilities that the Spirit gives, verse 2, especially prophecy. For having the ability to speak in tongues, then he goes through what, uh, what Phil has talked about, that there's, there's more benefit to the body if you have the prophetic operating than an individual gifting of tongues. But he doesn't want to minimize tongues either. He says, don't forbid it. In fact, he says, I speak in all of it. There are great men and women of God who spend hours a day speaking in the Spirit. It's encouraged. Some amazing, so again, what are you doing? You're connected in throne room. And so, there's a discipline to it for sure. So, all right. Um, last week, we we I spent time, I, I covered some of this, but I read you a the, at least the foreword from Randy Clark, who was a skeptic. Randy came out of the Southern Baptist, right? Uh, became a vineyard pastor spiritual dad. All of our ordinations here are under Global Awakening, um, Apostolic Network. And so Randy um, was really skeptical before the Toronto outpouring, uh, where he, he had 100 people in his church, and we went there. And then at the end of this thing, after 10 years, 4 million people had come. And the outpouring of that Toronto blessing um, touched, is still touching parts of the world. Bill Johnson was impacted there. Heidi Baker was impacted there. I don't know how many thousands and how many millions of people have come in as a result of that. Randy was there. Randy Clark was there, and he was skeptical of prophecy because the denomination he'd come from was not embracing it. Um, And Randy, remember the story? He prays for a lady and nothing happens. He's not having any breakthrough. So Larry Randolph, who was, Randy had just met him, was a little skeptical. He even tried to tell the senior pastor, don't, don't have that guy join us here. And he said, no, we're gonna. And so Larry said, would it be all right if I prayed? And when he prayed, a revelation came prophetically. He gave that word to the woman. She starts crying, and there was a breakthrough. I'll cut to the chase. The, the other story, remember uh, remember the, uh, was it the chicken prophecy? F- trying to figure out how many eggs the, the, the chickens might have laid, right? And he said, so he was learning uh, I guess, farmyard prophecy, back as a little boy, but then when he starts to operate in it, he gets this download and uh, a vision dream that he's supposed to get on a plane, which he's fearful of doing, um, which will fit really well with the Sermon Sunday on Gideon, by the way, I just put that note in, um, and then he, he flies to New go to New York, and I'll give you something when you get there, and there's a white car that's involved, so he spends whatever money he's got, buys a, uh, was it a one-way ticket? I guess it was a round-trip ticket. And uh, he lands there, gets to the airport, says, okay, takes a taxi to this hotel that he felt was supposed to be where he was supposed to be, and now here I am with no assignment. And when you follow through, how many of you would do that, honestly? I, there's probably a few of you wild folks. Huh? How, how many have done it? Oh, that, that's wild. Okay, praise the living... Yeah, was that Mozambique? Yeah, tell that story, Pat. Yeah. Where's my... You know. uh, seriously? You yeah, want me to tell the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, tell I think it's a great, great time.
3: Okay. Well, um, we went to see Heidi Baker the first time at the Voice of the Apostles. And uh, Phil and I and Ginny and Tom were all excited to be around this magnificent uh, prophet. So... We go in, and she's telling everybody, <coughs> You have to come to Africa, you have to come to Mozambique, you'll get to see God walking with the children, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Tom and Phil were like, Yeah. And I'm like, No. Because the word says that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart, right? I had no desire to be the lowest thing on a food chain. So I just said, No to Africa. And Tom goes, be careful what you say no to. So I was just being cocky. I didn't think anything about it. We go inside, pray, and Heidi lays hands on Phil and I and says, we're going to Africa. Yeah. So I come out, and I'm, I'm crying because there's no way I want to go to Africa. And We get back here, make this long story, such a cool story, but we get back here, Tom's getting everybody ready to go to Africa. Yeah, we're gonna go, we're gonna raise money and blah, 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 blah. And the funny thing was, we we had no money. So I figured that was gonna keep us from going. But my mother came up with this idea to have a yard sale, since we're right on the highway, just have people bring stuff and sell it. (laughs) And that, we made so much money. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really, at that point, only enough for one. And Phil was really ready to go. And I just said, so Tom says, look, just pray about it. I said, okay. So I, I of course, prayed about it, but I just felt no. I was really strong in that no. And then I woke up one night in the middle of the night with these numbers running in my head. And they just kept running, running, running. And so I had to write them down because I couldn't get back to sleep. So I wake up in the morning and I look at these numbers and I thought, I said, is this like a zip code for Africa, for Mozambique or anything like that? I looked it up, all these nothing. I go to Tom. He says, no, I don't know what that is. Okay, fine. So another couple of days go by and t- Tom in the hallway and Tom says, come in my office a minute. What are you going to do? We've got to put the money down for the plane. I said, Tom, I, I don't want to go. He said, well, what was those numbers you got? So I read off the numbers, and Smarty Pants goes over. Who, who has a world map in their office? Anybody you know? No. So he pulls down this big, gigantic map, and he goes, wait a minute. Read off those numbers. And he points to the numbers, and I'm telling you, this is what it was. 24, seven, thirty. They were exactly, what is it called? Latitude,
0: Latitude and longitude.
3: And it was exactly Maputo, Africa.
0: Mozambique. Yeah. Mozambique. Yeah, That's Whatever. M- Yeah, Mozambique. I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. Mozambique. Yeah. Mozambique.
3: Yeah, you yeah, exactly. Yeah, way. So now, now
0: I'm Now she's going. in disobedience. If she yeah. yeah.
3: No, there was no way I could get around that. I tried, <laughs> but it just wasn't going to happen. So, I, of course, I cried for like a half an hour, and he goes, well, it'll be fine. You'll see. It's going to be really fine oh, first of all, I hate flying, I hate the thought of Africa, now, and on top of all this, so now first, See the she tells willing, me,
0: The willing missionary. This, right. you, you feel the heart, You're right? You yeah. hear the heart. Right.
3: So Heidi says, oh, I'm so glad you guys are all coming. We have these little rooms now for everybody. So I said, oh, cool, right? A week later, she calls and says, oh, no, we don't have any rooms. You're going to have to bring tents. So now, not only do we have to bring tents, but we have to bring food. Because there's nothing we had, so we had to sustain, sustain ourselves for the 10 days, right? And be, live in a tent. And take crazy medicine. Remember what happened with that? Yes. That's another whole story. So, anyway. Anti
0: malarial medicine oh that my makes gosh. you cuckoo. Yeah, yeah Phil got yeah, nuts fine. on
3: that, tried to rip <laughs> open the tent. Oh, God. But I'm just going to give you the end of the story for me. As as much as I knew it was God at this point, I had no fear. I had no fear about flying. I had no fear about going, about doing whatever he wanted us to do. I just kept saying, why am I here? Because everybody else got to go out and do things. And uh, it was really intense. And uh, (laughs) one night, Heidi says for us to come out to this place in the city. And most of the city was, like, burned out, nasty looking, you know. And... uh, he wanted us to... She wanted us You hear to the meet, heart of the missionary, right? There. Yeah. She wanted us to meet these people, drug addicts and stuff. Like, like, I had to go to Africa to meet them. I got plenty right here, you know? So... Oh, but here's two cool things, okay? My please, brother... Please
0: tell us something that's cool about okay. this. So far, it's very depressing about <laughs> no, prophecy.
3: First of all, <laughs> you, we had to send out letters to raise money to go. And one of the letters I sent out was to my brother. We're three years apart. We were raised really close. And uh, he's an animal freak, like a horse dog whisperer. And I'm like so opposed to animals. I mean, just total opposite. And I don't even like to look at them, nevertheless, have them, you know? So.
0: I hear he the goes, heart of that, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so he goes, and he had no idea about Jesus Christ being saved, born again, going to Africa, none of that. He was a druggie himself, and he, you know, he, he was just wild in the streets. So he goes, You're going to Africa? He goes, oh no, this has to be God. There's no way. I said, yeah, I'm going. He goes, I'm sending you money right now. And he did, yeah. right? That was probably the seed, because then he got saved, remember? Yeah, that's Joe, yeah. Okay, so that was really cool. Um, and the Lord used that to get his attention. And my mother was hysterical, and she's in the, in, the, in the yard doing something at the time, and the lady across the street came over and said hello to her. So she goes, oh, I'm so annoyed. So the woman says, why? She goes, my daughter is going to Africa. So the woman said, why would she be going to Africa? Is she a missionary? Well, I don't know what she is, but she's going to Africa. I can't believe it. Doesn't she know it's dangerous there? <laughs> Seriously. So then the lady goes, oh, well, why are they going? Are they going with the church? They're going." She goes, yeah, they're going with her church. She goes, oh. She said, are you saved? So my mother said, no. She goes, well, come on inside, I'll sit down with you and my father and led them both to the Lord.
0: Hallelujah.
3: So number two, right? Then I got the prize, because that night when we went with Heidi, (laughs) getting attacked by the people with screwdrivers, right? So we get into this place, this derelict looking place, and it's got a broken down uh, building on one side and then a little wooden shed and you can smell something funky in the air. Uh, And my husband was standing right beside me, and he goes, "Um, I wish uh, Heidi would hurry up and get here, Tom. And I'm like, yeah, Tom, look, it's getting dark. Let's get out of here. He goes, no, we can't leave. Where are we going to go? I'm like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) So then I started to freak out, and there was my husband and Tom and, and women. So they were starting to get their, like, macho mode and trying to get everybody, like, in a circle because nobody, we didn't know anybody there, and Heidi was nowhere. So in the midst of that, I was like at an anxiety mode, and I'm thinking, what's going to happen? We're here all by ourselves. And the Lord just spoke so clearly. He said, if you had a phone, who would you call and what language would you use? I'm like, no fair. (laughs) (laughs) What? Can I just scream or something? No. So he said, go ahead, just do what you came here to do. And I honestly, I had no clue what that was. But as soon as I heard that, um, I looked over to the side, and there was a young man sitting on a step in this broken-down building with a big, um, not a cast, but like a makeup cast kind of thing, wrapped around his leg, and he was leaning on the wall. And um, I said, Phil, I'm going to go over and pray with this guy. And Phil goes, yeah? I'm like, yeah, I, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And I did. I went over, I sat next to him, and he started crying. I put my hands on him. I prayed with him. I was crying. Everybody started to move out of their circle and prayed with the people that were there. And then, of course, in walks Heidi. (laughs) Dun-da-da. And that's the end of that part of the story.
0: Yeah. It was really... uh,
3: But that was all God. That was what was so cool about it.
0: Yeah. And Phil, who was a construction guy, had gotten a prophetic word that he was going to build a house. Heidi was going to ask him to build a house in Mozambique. Now, we built houses and well, let's say we helped. <laughs> it's different than here, right? And so that night um, when Heidi came in and we were in this burned out place, there was a woman pregnant in this, laying in the dirt in this place, and her baby had not moved for two weeks. And in Mozambique, if you don't have the cash, you don't go in the hospital. So there's a concern the baby may be dead in the womb. This, guy, this is life-threatening. So Heidi turns to me. She's got, we have a 14-year-old street pastor who's our lead. <laughs> Heidi says, you'll be fine with him. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And uh, he'll get you out. and be fine. I have to take her to the hospital. And so Heidi takes the lady. She pays the bill. The baby gets delivered. The next morning, Heidi comes and says, where's that guy, Phil? And says, Phil, I need you to build a house for this woman and her baby. She's going to be one of our mamas on the orphanage here. And so, prophetically, all the things that were aligned there. So, even when you go kick, kicking and screaming, um, the prophetic word can align uh, to give us what he's asked us to do. So, amen. It, wasn't, it, it was a long time getting there. I didn't have a lot, but you did. Yeah, it was good. All right. Um, praise God. So. Well, you would agree that prophetically, at least in Larry Randolph, will finish that story, he flies to New York with no, only a portion, portion of the assignment, a white car, go to New York, and uh, there's somebody there, and he's sitting in the coffee shop, he's got a little bit of money left, and uh, makes eye contact with the guy. Long story short, he had just driven there from another state. Uh, he was finishing up something with business. His wife had left him. His f- business has fallen apart. He was going to finish the business deal and he had had his gun in the car and he was going to go commit suicide. He sees Larry, comes to him and says, are you a minister? Starts pouring out his heart. Larry ends up taking him to his hotel. The man takes him up to the hotel room. Larry leads him to the Lord. Uh, he funds his trip, gives him a right, his air flight back home. And, and uh, so from that start in Larry Randolph's life, sometimes the Lord gives you, most of the time, is my experience, He gives you a little bit of the peace, and it's your big yes that starts the ball rolling, or your big no that blocks it. And so, when we look at prophecy, um, let's turn to page two, and uh, we'll pick up here. I wanted you to see that this whole book, so much of it is based upon the prophetic of that which was promised. So, on page two of the handout, when it's becoming a prophetic community, um, that's the forward that I read last week from Randy Clark. And then we we look at the teaching points here. Number three on page two, the teaching points are: first, you got to hear the word. But there's a difference between hearing and listening. And so then you got to follow. You have to act on what you're involved in, and then you need to celebrate. <laughs> and so. When you look at, I just listed some of them in, in one through 11, one through 11 there in four. these are all the different prophetic revelations that came out of the Old Testament, and you're probably familiar with many of these. Um, we talked about number six there, Joel's prophecy on the outpouring, Isaiah's prophecy, he prophesied about the coming of Messiah, uh, riding on the donkey, the um, we know that Jeremiah in his prophecy turned to page three. Um, when you look at, we spent uh, weeks and weeks on the book of Daniel. Um, Ezekiel's prophecy, um, when we look at Daniel's prophecy, both that which was current in his day for King Nebuchadnezzar and what is current in our day. So some of these things are both post and past and present. And so when we look at Ezekiel, let's, uh, we're living, I believe, right now in the setup to Ezekiel uh, 36 through 38. So why don't you turn there for a minute. I want you to see that um, in the prophetic, it gives us revelation. We know Jesus told us what was going to happen, right? He told us in Matthew 24 and uh, Luke 21, Mark 13, these would be the signs of those um, in the last days. He said, I don't know the day of the hour, nor does the angels. Only my father does. But he said, these will be the conditions you'll see. And we unpack that in pretty great detail. In Ezekiel 36, now remember, this was written 3,600 years ago uh, by Ezekiel the prophet. We know that it's validated, okay? There's no more, well, they wrote it after the fact. First of all, this is forward thinking anyway. It hasn't all happened yet. But we know from the the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1948, the unpacking of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In November, we were in Israel and we looked at, we went to the book of the, the Bible, the museum of the book. And there they have all the remnants, at least replicas of them. And Ezekiel is one of the prophecies that's been taken apart by both biblical scholars, Greeks, Hebrews, Orthodox. They put this whole panel together, so you can't... You got First, got to interpret it, right, from the language space that's there. But then you have to look at it through the lens of both archaeology and validation. And so we have a pretty good handle on this. And Ezekiel 36, first of all... Would anyone think that there wasn't a restoration of Israel? Hello, it's there, right? Uh, But if you look at the time of two thousand years in the making, um, so Ezekiel prophesies there would become a day when Israel would be back in its land, and so um, he knows. We know from verse nineteen, he says, "After I have scattered my people and punished them for their evil way and how they've lived, I will bring them back from among the nations." Um, we've been there. The Ethiopian Jews are coming in. The the uh, when you look at the those who are making Aliyah from all the different nations, um, wow! It's just it's incredible how God is fulfilling that prophecy. He he then goes on and says, um, well, let's look at verse thirty six at uh, verse thirty three. The Sovereign Lord says this: When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities, and the ruins will be rebuilt there was not one stone left after the Romans destroyed it in 70 AD. And so we know now in the restoration, if you've seen what they've done with Tel Aviv, we drove through Tel Aviv in November. It's like, wow, what a city, right? And even Jerusalem is such a a beautiful, beautiful city of restoration. Um, Okay, so we see that that's already been accomplished. We see in verse, uh, let's look at, the ruined cities will be crowded with people. Everyone will know that I am the Lord. That's the last verse of 36. Then he speaks of the valley of the dry bones. He speaks about unifying. Remember when Israel's history, there was both Israel and there was Judah. And you had two kings, you had the northern tribes, the southern tribes. When he says, when I do this restoration, they will be under one leader. And so we see that prophesied in verse 20 of Ezekiel 37. He says, I will hold out the piece of wood that have gathered you. I will gather you as the people of Israel among the nations. I will bring them home in their own land from whence they have been scattered. And I will unify them under one nation on the mountains of Israel. If you'll notice the mountains of Israel. Our president just agreed that the Golan Heights that were captured in the 67 uh, war are now the legitimate lands of Israel. And in fact, it's important. When you, set, when you get up on the Golan and you look over into Syria, some of the army outposts right there, you can see it. Strategically, they need this. When our prior president wanted to dissect that land back to the 67 borders, that would have been crazy for the annihilation of Israel. So anyway, we see this prophetically being fulfilled. Um, he, he will, this, I will take the remnant back, he says in Verse 26. I'll make a covenant peace with them. I will, um, I will put my temple among them. We saw the construction diagrams. We went into the, um, they have laid out all of the elements of the third temple. They have laid out the blueprints and it's believed they can build this temple within two years. And so prophetically, again, Ezekiel's prophesying this 3,600 years in advance. But here's the one right now you know the tension if you've been following the news anywhere. We've got the Russians are in Syria. We, they, the Iranians are in Syria. Um, the Russians are in Venezuela. The Iranians have, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to claim we know who bombed what, but four ships were bombed, right, in, uh, out, I guess, in the ports at, uh, in Saudi Arabia. And then there was drone strikes going on, that they're trying to figure out who might have done that. So last week, in whatever the intelligence was, the President and the uh, National Defense guys said, we need to send a battle group. So we just took the Lincoln and the uh, Aircraft Battle Group out of the Mediterranean, came up to Suez, and they're now in the Persian Gulf. We shipped our bombers to Qatar, and there's another location. Uh, we have bombers sitting in the Middle East. So right now, this is tension. I, you know, I've shipped out through the Mediterranean. The, um, the Persian Gulf is only 220 miles wide. And you've got Iranian ships. You've got all the oil tankers. and everything. It is just a crowded place. And uh, we don't want anything to get out of whack here. We don't even understand why it's all come to this point. But here's what it says. We know Iran changed his its name in nineteen thirty seven, I believe it was nineteen thirty seven or thirty eight, from Persia to Iran. Right? He prophesies in thirty eight, Ezekiel thirty eight, we know that Gog is the area due north of Israel. If go from go from Israel, go north and you'll see Moscow. That are the those who are the descendants of Gog are, are the remnant people that live in Russia. So he says, one day, you are my enemy. It's a godless nation. You are my enemy, he says in verse 3. I give this message to you. You're my enemy. I'm going to put a hook in your mouth, and I'm going to lead you in your army. And here's your folks that are going to go with you. Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya. Libya fell under Gaddafi, right? It's now pretty much run by Hezbollah or Hamas. And so we look at that. The Iranians are the ones that are there in that revolt. It says in verse 8, A long time from now you will be called into action in the distant future. I think 3,600 years is that. You will swoop down on the land of Israel, which is now enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from the many lands to the mountains of Israel. He goes on. He says that the place has been filled. Verse um, 12, The former desolate cities have now filled with people. They've returned from exile from the nations. This all happened, Right? Then there's this group that says they counter what's happening. He Verse 15 says, You will come from your homeland in the distant north, a vast cavalry of the mighty armor. Go on Google if you're interested at all and look at what, what, what Russia has built in the last 15 years. Their super tank and their supersonic missiles. They just bragged about how our missile defense systems can't stop their supersonic cruise missiles that they have. They are positioned... Um, I know a little bit about the submarines, they're, they're, the building of their submarines. Um, this, we're sitting on the verge of this prophecy being fulfilled, I believe. And so I only tell you that not to scare you, but to be aware that the book, none of this has been fulfilled, but all of that looks like it's aligned to be fulfilled, and the rabbis, you have a rabbi friend in Israel, he tells me that the Ezekiel War is right around the corner, and that Israel is preparing for war right now. And so, hey, they've been probably preparing for war for a long time, but I want you to see that prophetically, um, the Lord wouldn't tell us that for just great information. It's to get us ready, to make be, be in preparation. The time is short. Jesus went on and on in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. He said, When you see these things begin to unfold, you know that's right at the door. He said, I think seven times, Watch out, watch out, be ready. Are you ready? Watch out, take notice. So, again, he's not stuttering. There's a reason he gave us those prophetic pictures. Why? Because there ought to be an urgency. It ought to wake us up as the little comfortable churches and say, Wait a minute, it's coming right now. So, not in fear. But in preparation, and get the, get the word out, because remember we spent how many weeks going through Revelation? We believe we're out of here. <laughs> okay, all right, let me, let me get back on to, uh, I wanted to give you a piece of that, because I think right now it is unfolding as we look. Look at, uh, on page three, 4B, it says, God raises up several companies or schools of the prophet. So if you turn with me to 1 Samuel 19, I want you to see, I believe the Lord wants to raise up a school of the prophets. He wants this whole band of people that understand prophecy that operate in it. And some, like I've spoken to me, eh, the whole thing of prophecy kind of weirds me out. And how do you know? And, and um, what if you get a wrong word? I said, what if you get a right word? You know. And so, um, so let's look at 1 Samuel uh, 19. And let's pick up, um, I think, verse eighteen. Let's start there. So you you know the, probably the history, David is being um, tracked by King Saul. I think Saul tried to kill him. I don't know how many times. Right? He's got his special forces looking for David. David's hiding out. Um, so verse eighteen it says, David escaped and he went to Ramah to see Samuel the prophet, and he told him that Saul what Saul had done to him. Samuel took David with him, and they live at Naoth, when the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived, they saw Samuel, the prophet, leading a group of prophets, so many postulize that Samuel, remember Samuel under Eli, right, Uh, Samuel, that was Hannah's son who was dedicated, right, and so Samuel appears to have a school of prophets under him, and so the group of prophets, they were prophesying the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men. This is, this is an interesting concept. When the spirit of prophecy is operating in the atmospheric conditions of a body of believers or those who are attuned to God, really strange things can happen that are really cool. That's why I'm excited about it. Um, so you got a group of prophets, so they, they're carrying a connection because pretty soon you're going to understand that In order to prophesy, you have to have a relationship with God. And we're going to talk about two conditions, Old Testament versus New Testament in a moment. But just hold that thought. So it says, there were a group of prophets who were prophesying. The Spirit of God came upon Saul's men. They're here on an assignment to kill David. These are warriors, okay? These are not teetotalers, right? These are probably Saul's crack guys. They've probably been in several battles, and they're here, and they walk into an atmosphere of the prophetic, and they start prophesying. I don't know if that excites you. It does excite me, but and it'll even get more exciting when you hear what happens to Saul. Once Saul heard that, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. And we don't know what they said, but all we know is they didn't come to get David after that, Right? And they go back and say, Well, we got there and we started prophesying. Why didn't they send another group? So then what happens? The third time, it happens. Finally, Saul said, I'm going to Ramah. And he arrives at the great well in Seku. Where where are Samuel and David? He demanded. They are at Naamath and Ramah. He told them, But on the way, the Spirit of God came upon even Saul. And he too, now this is, I think, I just think God's got a sense of humor. Here's a murdering spirit that, remember, David had to play the harp so that the troubling spirit would leave him alone. This guy is, he is filled, he is eat up with anger and bitter and jelly. He is is demonized with a murdering spirit. Get a hold of that for a minute, right? And he says, he tore off his clothes. (laughs) The Holy Spirit comes on, the, the spirit of prophecy comes on him. He begins to prophesy all the way to Naamah. I don't know how far that is, but the, here's the king, right? He tears off his clothes, and he lays naked on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. I got, you got to laugh, right? I don't want that to happen here, praise God. But, <laughs> Lord, I, I want prophecy, but, wow. Anyway, whatever, Lord. And so, but here's this murdering spirit, right, that comes, and he can't fulfill the murder, and what does God do? He undresses the king and humbles him. I think that's just awesome. And so, we, and we know David's assignment and his, his destiny, right? So I want you to see, there's several really important, there's an atmospheric condition that can happen when a group of people are in a prophetic revelation. Even those that want to do extreme evil. We've seen this on the mission field. We've seen it here. People who come with an assignment I've told you the story. I won't go again because it's too long. They came under blood sacrifice to kill me in Tanzania, five of them, right? And so that was their intent. Uh, Phil's husband, uh, Pat's husband, Phil, when he was with us in Brazil, there was an assignment by a warlock, and actually he come and came to uh, bring harm to us, came after Phil. Phil, who had had a heart attack years before that, the, when we told, when Phil, I told Phil, get this, get this warlock out of here. He is cursing our intercessors, and they're feeling sick to their stomach. We can't perform the deliverance in the tent. Get this character out of here. Phil is, you know, not afraid of anything human. And so he, I'll take care of that. And so tells, you're out of here. And the guy turns to him, and I, he said something. And the moment that happened, Phil turned ashen white. He said later, he felt a hand go in and grab a hold of his heart. One of the nurses, an RN who was on our team, came running to me and says, Phil's having a heart attack. When I got there and I looked at the guy standing in his three-piece suit, dead, the same guy days before I'd gotten close to him, the temperature in the Amazon dropped over 5, 10 degrees. I could feel the witchcraft. I said, no. looked in his eyes. There was no life there. I said, we're not ministering to this guy. He came back every night wanting to get ministry. He wanted born-again believers to cast demons out so he could get the Matthew 7 promise of seven words. He could get more power. We're not ministering to him. Well, when that happened, I instantly I had a revelation that that's what it was. I said, I take the sword of the Spirit. I cut Phil free. I did a motion in front of him. Phil said he felt a hand come out of his heart. And his color returned, and then... I was not in chair number one at that moment. This guy was going to have Ananias and Sapphira. I'm done. You don't touch my armor bearer like this. And so, cooler heads. I said, I don't, I don't know why Phil agreed to this. I said, okay, now get him out of here. And so Phil walked him to the, to the edge of the soccer stadium. And Phil said, as soon as he reached the edge of the soccer stadium, he fell in the grass and started slithering like a snake. And so that he had lost his assignment. But what, what's the point? There is power. The devil has power, but he doesn't have power over those who know who they are, right? And so now he can, he can intimidate. Oh, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. I'm going to kill you when I come out. I've had that one. told how many times. I'm going to do this to you. They'll start choking people that are under the... It's all intimidation. They'll fall down, pull hair. It's all... They do crazy things. Why? Because they're trying to intimidate. The point is, that power of darkness, as opposed to the power of light in the prophetic, or in the words of those who know who they are. And so, that ought to get us excited, because I've said, if we, if we could gather enough of a core people who really have dealt with their mess, have done, they're not, they've laid aside every weight, and the sin that so easily besets us. And they're running the race. What would God do with that in the midst of service of worship where he inhabits the praise of his people? We will see darkness flee. We will see tumors disappear. We've been in i I've tasted that and I've seen it. And I want it again. I want, once you've seen it, you cannot unsee it. And so I was in a meeting in Belém, Brazil. No, where was it? Where was that church, Terry? That wasn't Belém, it was... um, Santa, no, the one before that. Anyway, the one with the 10,000, Manaus. We were there, a church of 10,000 plus. One night, the Holy Spirit fell in such power, sovereign healings over 12, 14, I forget the number, of deaf mutes sitting on one side began to speak. Blind eyes opened. Woman stood up screaming, I can see, I can see. A woman who had a tumor in her uterus, it fell out in a bloody mess on the floor before our very eyes. I'm telling you, these things, when you've seen the Holy Spirit move and Randy turns and says, I've lost control and God's here. You think? Yeah, I think. Yeah. And it's good. He does great work in the midst of that. So that's why I'm hungry for an equipping in all of the giftings. It's not going to be church as usual. And once the word gets out, that's when you're going to have to get ready because they'll line up here. If you've got a loved one that's sick, They'll fly across country. They'll come. There's a place that this healing's breaking up. They will come. And I don't want it just to be rhetoric. Okay? All right. Moving along. So we, we see this in Samuel, for, in first uh, chapter 19. The groups of prophets. Let, let's turn to the next one. Turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 2. I want you to see this, this idea of the school or groups. And actually, there were cities. There were prophets, groups of prophets from cities. What if you all became known as the prophets from Wilmington? Come on. And I'm not label it to one church. There's, there's, there are, so anyway, but I just want you to see what happens here. In chapter 2 of 2 Kings, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in the whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha... We're traveling from Gilgal. Elijah and Elisha stayed here, and the Lord told him to go to Bethel, house of God. When Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Verse 3, the group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord's going to take your master today? Look, he reveals a, a consistent message from one group of city prophets to the next. So he goes on and look at verse 5. A group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master today? I want you to see the same message that was about to happen was given in confirmation and there's a group that all got it right. And so, anyway, that's Old Testament. Those are the things that God was showing to us through Kings and Samuel's prophecies there. Okay. Well, what about New Testament prophets? I listed in number five just a few. Would you agree that Zechariah, right, married to Elizabeth, who's going to birth John the Baptist, do you believe the angel came and told him, <clears throat> you're about ready to have a son, you're to name him John, and since you don't believe it, we're going to shut your mouth for nine months, right? And so Zechariah prophesied and told everybody, named him John. Okay, how about John the Baptist? He foretold Jesus. How about Jesus? How about Simeon, Anna, Paul, Agabus? <clears throat> How about Philip the evangelist? Great story here um, of the legacy. When, when, I, when I look at families who have invested in God long term, and I see the fruit longer term, that's what happened with Philip. We see Philip, who's the evangelist. He's the guy that works at House of Mercy in Acts chapter 6. He's not an apostle. He's not an apostle. They look for someone filled with the Holy Ghost who is full of wisdom. And they raise up six men because the apostles need to spend time in the word. So they, the widows are complaining about who's getting the amount of food and somebody's got this. And so they find six guys. Philip's one of them. You run House of Mercy. They do that. Well, he then goes in Acts chapter eight. He's the one that's outpouring to the Samaritans, the half-breeds, the racial issue of that day. And he goes there and preaches kingdom, and the Holy Spirit falls, and they're being healed. And Peter and John say, wait a minute, Samaritans? I don't know. We got to go see. So they send the big guns from Jerusalem to Samaria. And while they're there, sure enough, it says the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on them yet, but they're believers. You can read that in Acts chapter eight. We'll look at it at some point, Maybe. Same, so we see here again, Philip later, enough uh, Philip, uh, yeah, Philip later in chapter 21, when there's prophecy about Paul's travels, it says, Philip the evangelist, whose four daughters had the gift of prophecy. Look at that family legacy. Now that's probably 20 plus years from when he ran House of Mercy to when he did his mission trip to Samaria. And now, later, we find him hooked up. It's the same one in chapter 21 of Acts. And his daughters operated in the gift of prophecy. I want you to see that's 20 years post-resurrection. The gift of prophecy is still operating. Um, so, all right. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on to, uh, we, we've already shared under number six, all may prophesy, Acts 2, Joel 2, right? First Corinthians, we read those all last week. So, now let's get into some meat and potatoes, what is prophecy? Uh, well, Jason, when Jason was uh, speak, uh, stood up and You got the mic? Terry, got the mic?
1: <coughs> when Jason was speaking in tongues, I saw little gifts all around him. Uh, so I think it, it has to do with uh, building the church up. Uh, he, he, gives us, um, he, he gives us gifts... Uh, it, to, um, to let us know what it is that he's he's doing with his body.
0: So there's a building up that comes from prophecy. What is the, what would you give us a definition of prophecy? Hearing God, the Lord speaking. Okay, I like those. Foretelling, uh, seeing. So there's a <clears throat> the bottom of the page there. Three speaking under inspiration, right? That's pretty important when you think about where we go. The next page, page four, the Hebrew Old Testament, there's a word nabai that means it's over 300 times describing prophecy in the Old Testament. The root word for that means to bubble up or to announce. Remember in the Old Testament, it was thus saith the Lord, right? And so there was a lot of thus saying in, in the Old Testament. Um, 430 times, in fact, it is, there's instances of the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord. Peter spoke about this in 1 Peter. He said, let the men speak as of the oracles of God. Now, I want us to get into a place of reverential honor, maybe not reverential fear, but I want us to understand that when you speak for God, there's a responsibility, right? Don't be flippant about it. There's there's this place where if we're going to speak with inspiration from God, It carries this great responsibility, number eight there. Now, to speak for someone, if I were to uh, represent Pastor Terry, would you think that it would be good if I know something about Terry and that we're in relationship? It would probably be valuable if if I know kind of, if I'm going to speak for him, I'm going to represent him, then I need to be in relationship with him and I need to know things about him, right? And so... I want us to see when we begin to operate in a greater measure in the impartation of this gift at the end of uh, the sessions, we're going to see that what we're doing is we are we need to be connected with God, because you're going to represent Him on this matter. So how can we know the heart of on a matter unless we speak to Him about it? Now, 1 Corinthians 2, I'd like you to turn there for a moment. I read this this morning at our intercessory time, but I just want to go there again. In 2 Corinthians, it speaks of, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. And let's look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 10. God has revealed unto us by His Spirit For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. But now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. He goes on and he says, the very verse 16 of that chapter says, We have the mind of Christ. New Living Translation says it this way, but it was us that God revealed these things by the Spirit, for His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that the person owns Spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except by God's own Spirit. This is really key, and I, I haven't heard a whole lot, whole lot of teaching about this in the prophetic revelation of the gifting, If you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, then you are, I believe, in danger of not being in the right connection to God to speak for Him. And I want to give you, again, some biblical basis. I touched on it before, but let's, when you look at the baptism in the Holy Spirit, now I understand that some people have different views about this, but I can back myself up biblically, that I believe that when you are born again, when you make a commitment and a in that conversion, where you recognize Romans 10, 9 and 10, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that really happens, this, the confession goes, out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? So when you're born again, when that translation, when your name is translated and written in the Lamb's book, right? You are there. It's clear in Revelation, book of Daniel, there are books, and that's one of them, right? And so he says... When you've made that conversion, that does not automatically represent that you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes, your spirit man, you, are, you when it speaks of um, ownership, when my spirit man is fully given to the Lord in that point of, of birth, new birth, the new beginning, the new creature in Christ is born again, but I am not necessarily... Filled and baptized in power. Look at Acts chapter eight. Let's go there. I started with with uh, with Philip on this, but let me give you a couple of scriptures on this that will, I believe, ices this. In Acts eight, Paul uh, Philip goes to Samaria. We'll look at Acts. Chapter eight, verse four: The believers who were scattered preached the good news, and Jesus, and Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, he told the people about the Messiah. Crowds listened to him intently because Philip was eager to. They were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Boy, there's some the signs and wonders ver- verify the message he's preaching is true. Okay. That's good. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was great joy in the city. Now, there was a sorcerer there. He wanted to buy it, and he said, you know, okay. And so, in verse, um, verse 12, now people believed Philip's message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many of the men, the men and women were baptized. Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following. Okay. When the apostles, verse 14, heard what was going on in Jerusalem, that Samaritans had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers. Now, I want you to see. In the King, They're already believers. They've accepted Philip's message. They've been water baptized. When they received the message... <clears throat> Uh, when, when, Paul, when Peter and John get there, they, they, they had received the Holy Spirit. He prayed for them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Hello. So when, when they say, once you've accepted Christ, you got all of it, that scripture says no. In fact, literally it means had not yet fallen on them. Verse 16 in the King James says, the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on these believers, n- none of them, and when they were baptized in the name of the Lord, they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that, the sorcerer, he wanted to, you know, he wanted it also, he wanted to pay money for it. So I want you to see here, they're believers, and they, there was a greater baptism. Question, David.
2: Um, yeah, when I came here, uh, I had been baptized probably maybe two years before that. And when I came here... Um,
0: Water baptized? Yes. Okay.
2: And when I came here, um, you had asked everybody to come up front, that if they wanted to receive the Holy Spirit to come up front. And I'd only been here two or three times, and we were all in line, and I was looking over, and I saw somebody fall. And I was like, what is going on? I said, I'm in one of these churches... That you see Man, on I've TV, been there. I mean, that's like this is no way, right? So the lady standing next to me—it was—is uh, it Madeline next? To the lady, Addie. Yeah, she was doing it.
0: Oh, well, good luck with that. You, you, you.
2: And I looked the lady next to me had fallen, and I reached. I looked down to help her to make sure she was all right. And by the time I'd gotten my head up, she had laid her hands on me and I was on the floor. And I knew right there and I said, oh man, the Holy Spirit has just touched me. It was awesome. It was awesome.
0: Yay, God. Amen. I want you to see, um, let me give you another scripture that, again, when, when people, because here's the argument on some of, and I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just trying to be accurate of what I see scripturally, that because if we're not baptized in the presence. If we don't, we can have the mind of Christ, but if we're not connected to the source and full of His presence and His power, when Jesus said, don't leave, guys, until Acts chapter 1, when the Father sends the gift, and he He lays out what the gift is, right? And of course, we know when He comes in Acts chapter 2, they are baptized. They speak in tongues. That's one of the evidence of it. But the other is prophecy and the other gifts and the power gifts that come with it. And so, the danger in prophecy is if you're not connected with the Lord, you're not in relationship with Him to represent Him in the fullness, there is a danger that prophecy gets off track. That's why I'm trying to hammer this one. So turn with me to Acts chapter 19 for a minute. We'll give you one more example of that. This is Paul's traveling to Ephesus. We know that there was a, talk about a church in, uh, a city in revival. There's the place where they burned millions of dollars worth of, of occult books and pouring out there. They had the riots there. It was amazing. Okay. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled, uh, Acts nineteen one through the interior region, and he reached Ephesus at the coast where he found several believers. Now, this is, and how important this is, Paul asked, the. it's not like, well, how you doing? And this is so important. The scripture highlights, he doesn't give them, let me talk to you about the the, apoc- the apocryphal is going to come in the, pa- in the future. No, he goes right to this. He goes, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <laughs> there was a time I said, well, yeah, I, I'm born again. I have the Spirit, my Spirit, man. He's not asking that question. Did you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and I said, no, they reply, We haven't even heard that there is one, a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? This is, a, this is not a head thing. This is experiential. He asked them, he replied, well, the baptism of John. They were water baptized. Paul, Paul said, well, John's baptism was calling for repentance from sin when John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 in all. I don't know about you, but I don't know how you get around the fact that there was a double blessing, right? And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very important. And that's why in the seeking of it, in the desiring of it, um, it's very important to any of the operations of the gift. And so, all right, let's get back on page four. Note, in the middle of the page there, I've got Acts 19, one through six. And then I said, note, you can be a believer and not yet possess the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can look at Luke Luke 1, 67 also, Acts chapter 2. These flowed in prophecy only after receiving the Holy Spirit and the second experience to salvation. This is an inward prompting of the Holy Spirit and a revelation that is perceived. What happens here is in that fullness there is this, the living stones become activated in such a way that the same spirit that dwells in Christ quickens this mortal body, says in Romans 8, 11, right? And so, I'm emphasizing this point because I believe that we need to stay connected in the fire in order to operate well in the gifts and not to get this messed up. I know I've hammered it hard, but I just, I believe it strongly. So, I want you to see an 8D there. It says, salvation plus baptized in the Holy Spirit equals an open channel for prophecy? Power. relation. I, I really like relationship. What you're saying is, I, when, when, when David, you weren't, you weren't looking to fall. You just got, un, guess what? You got into an atmosphere. You got next to Miss Addie, who's not taking any prisoners, right? And so when she lays hands on it's like, well, I don't believe it. I remember. It. I was sitting right back there on the day that I came in here and all that was going on in here and I'm like, oh no. Oh, anyway. So, I want you to see that the second principle I want you to look at at number 9 there, there's a thing called resonant anointing. The Holy Spirit came upon them as an outward prompting by the Holy Spirit. Revelation was received. The scriptures talk about resting in uh, Numbers 11. It says, the spirit rested upon them, Numbers eleven twenty-five. 25. He says, I have put my spirit upon them in Isaiah 42. Others, Ezekiel, Isaiah, 2 Kings, right? We saw that when, when, they, when Saul got into the realm of where the, whole, the prophecy was operating, it came on him, right? Okay, turn to page number 10. It is revealed the anointing that rested Upon the Old Testament prophets is now resident within the Holy Spirit filled believers. So in the Old Testament, he came on them for an assignment. In the New Testament, Joel's prophecy that Peter emphasized in Acts chapter 2, he says, This is the latter days. The Holy Spirit will fall upon their sons and daughters. Men and women will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see the visions. They nailed that. In Acts chapter 2, that is the infilling of power that came upon those simple Galileans who had a message at that day. I think over 3,000 came to Christ when that happens. That's a good day of church growth. So, top of this is the living water that's within the Holy Spirit believer can now flow as needed. And I shared with you an example last week, I can't go there again, in Tanzania, where Allah was doing all his crazy things, trying to discredit. And here we come, this group of band of Global River folks. And when the Holy Spirit fell, healings broke out, prophecy broke out, deliverance broke out. Every one of our folks there was like, woohoo. And what happened? We had an atmosphere that had been set. We had intercessors going. But the Lord needed to use this band of people to counter what darkness was trying to do through Allah, and we thought, well, man, we're awesome. But as soon as we came outside that atmosphere, we're thinking, oh, we're healers now. Be careful. And the Lord corrected me. Said, no, Allah challenged me, and I will not be challenged by Allah. You just happen to be there. You were the glove on my hand at that moment. And so that's humbling, and that's good, right? We don't lose lose track of what we're doing. He's the King, and we're not. And so, but I want us to see as believers that we need now and number 11, trust and cultivate the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to move in the Holy Spirit. How are you being led? How does he communicate to you? Um, How does he he act upon you? This is the perceived word. It's not thus saith the Lord. And I would, we'll look at our protocols. I've got our whole act of uh, ministry team training. Uh, We'll go through that and, and highlight it. I want us not to stand up and say, "Thus saith the Lord." I want us to operate in prophecy, and you can be like, you know, I have a sense, or I feel maybe that you know could be that the Holy Spirit might be. Um, what does that do? It's it. First of all, we I gave you that scripture. It says we see in part, right? Oftentimes, it's coming through the human vessel and how, we, how we're wired, what our personalities are, our experiences, our wounds, all of that can, can taint the way the message is delivered, right? And so, when we come into that place of humility that I, I'm seeing a picture, I'm sensing this, it's like, what that does, it disarms this, it has to be absolute. And I just think that's a safe place to, to go with this. So, Renee, you had a question? Well, when, when Holy Spirit power comes on a human vessel, it reacts in different ways. Falling out. You want to, you want to answer that? Oh, no. give, give, yeah. Okay, wait. So, so what, um, if you've read my book, <clears throat> when, um, when I was getting ready for an assignment that I didn't know I was going to have as an assignment, um, I got really powerfully impacted. And... Lifted up, hit a table, did a face plant, broke my titanium glasses, rug burned, spun. um, And I'm like, I'm I'm sore, and now my glasses are broken. I said, why would the Holy Spirit do that? I just asked the Lord to show me His power. That was my one request. Because, like I said, be careful what you say you won't do and what you will do, you know. And so... Because I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, as a nuclear engineer at that time, you know, my science mindset is if I didn't smell it, say it, taste, taste it, see it, it didn't happen, right? So he had a, he had a lot of work to do, right? And so, um, so here I am. I resigned from GE after 26 years, 25 years, and now I'm here as a pastor. I'm one year pastoring as an associate pastor, and I read Acts chapter 16. It says these will be the signs that follow him that believe, and these they'll cast out demons, they'll lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. And none of that's happening. And I'm like, I did not resign from my career to have come here and mark time. So then Randy Clark said, well, we're going to Brazil. And I said, wow, that's awesome. First trip into Brazil. I want to go. So I took Katie, myself, my wife, and there were 11 of us from the church, Phil. And my request was, God, I want to see your power. Yeah. So just before we go to Agua Viva, the church that we're going to minister in and and, Randy lays hands on me. I get, all I can tell you is I felt power come up from the bottom of the floor. That's all I can, and I'm thankful there was a table, broke my fall. I landed on the table. I did the face plant. Um, I was instantly under the influence. I sat up. My wife, after um, the rug burns and I bent the chair leg, one of my guys was sitting, Tony Kimbrough, was sitting in a chair. And Randy was praying for him when when and I had laid hands on him and I just got I was collateral blessing in the midst of this. When that happened, I started spinning. I bent the leg of the chair. Tony probably weighed over 150 pounds. I bent the metal leg of the chair with my leg, burned my I had big rug burns here, and the the nurse who was with us says, I'm concerned he's having a grand mall seizure. And Randy said, No, no, that's the Holy Ghost. And all I know, I sat up and I said, Honey, take me drunk, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> Phil and three of the guys picked me up, brought me down to my hotel room, threw me in my bed, and for two hours, I, I, I don't know what was going on, all I can say. So I believe to, the long question or answer to your question is, when we come in contact with the Holy Spirit, He knows how to reach you, <laughs> That's right. right? David's testimony is, I don't believe in this junk, yeah. Randy's got some really great testimonies of people who don't believe and they get in the environment and watch out what happens. And so You you felt you felt more alive after the experience? Did you ask the Lord We should do that. But yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Hebrew what is it? Uh, James one six says, Ask the Lord if you lack wisdom. But you felt you felt more alive. And the fruit of that was good. Right? I would say You'll know it by its fruit, too. So Bill Johnson shares a testimony when he was asking the Lord for more. <clears throat> One night in the middle of the night, uh, the Holy Spirit, w- he had uncontrolled motion of his arms and his leg for hours. And, and he's like, Lord, I asked for more. Um, is this the more? And he said, and he, he ends up crying. He tells the story through tears. He goes, what if I, Lord, I want you so much that what if you never stop?" this from happening to me. Is that going to be okay? And he struggled with that. And anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, impartation. Can I share something? Oh, go ahead. <clears throat>
4: um, just on that number 11, um, I kind of wanted just to explain what happened earlier with the speaking in tongues and why I did that. Yeah. Um, I, When it talks about you know cultivating your inner witness in Hebrews 5.14 says, you know, those who through practice have trained their senses. I know we have, we're, we're short on time, but I started feeling my lips tingle, and I feel things very physically a lot of times, and as I was feeling my lips tingle, I was like, all right, God, what's going on, and I felt something starting to rise up, you know, bubble up in my chest, and, and I was like, I felt like he wanted me to, to stand up and, and speak in tongues for, and expect an interpretation, and I'm like, I've never done that before, so that was like risking for me, Amen. and so I, I did, and then uh, Phil, um, you said you saw gifts around everybody. What did, I want to, I'm curious... Okay, and did you get a sense of what those were for? Uh, there were
0: mysteries all you, for the Swirling okay. mysteries of the Lord.
4: That's cool. So, and and kind of to encourage you, like, my one of my things that I feel like God has given me to do is equip the body by helping them understand their gifts and train and equip them how to use it. Man. So, uh, I just want to encourage you that, I think you were seeing it properly, so... Um, just as you guys are experiencing the Holy Spirit, like she was talking about, pay attention to what He's saying physically to you, or what what is happening, and ask Him, "Hey, what's going on? What is this for?" And I think part of what you were experiencing was um, the shaking off of things that are of the world, and enter to, to have the things that remain, the things that are unshakable, which yeah. are from the Lord.
0: And and you'll know you'll know by its fruit. Remember Jesus said, "You'll know it's by its fruit." Um, in my situation, when he doesn't just give you power for the sake of power. It's, it's always for a purpose, you, to bring life. That night was the first night I ever did a deliverance ministry of a woman who'd been engulfed in witchcraft and was crippled. And like I said, I, we, know, we know so little about it. I mean, we, were, we were all novices. This first trip into Brazil, Randy was just cracking that nation. And uh, the woman who came in, her name was... Um, um, Priscilla, No, it was Priscilla. And she came in crippled and ended up in front of my wife. And my wife interviewed her after praying for her and uh, found out that at one years old, she'd been cursed by Macumba. Her father had made fun of a, of a next-door neighbor who also had a physical difirm- uh, infirmity. And uh, the Macumba witches put the curse on his family that all of his children would be crippled. And at one years old, her leg turned out. And she was in her late twenties, early thirties. Um, and so I get a word of knowledge, the first one I ever had, while we're at the agua viva with Randy during worship, and I said, I believe that the Lord wants to pray for the terminally ill of the really sick people here. Randy stops the meeting, says, Pastor's got a word. I'm like, oh, please. And go with his team to the back. Well, we get there and my team is there. We've got Katie and my wife, and and we're just praying over these people that are they were so sick. It was very intimidating, extremely intimidating. You could tell there was death all over this room. And I, ended, I prayed for this woman who had AIDS. Her husband had just died of AIDS. That She was concerned her two children had gotten it. And uh, I prayed with her, comforted her. You can't see the blood results, so I finished that. And my wife calls me over and says, this woman has been involved in witchcraft. When we started down the prayer of renouncing witchcraft, there was all the, the exorcism movie happening. I'll just put it that way. And uh, we were all surprised. Every time we'd use the name, the demons would flee. It's like, I've seen that. In, before. Anyway, at the end of that, we prayed for her. And she said, I want to get up and walk. And when she walked, God's honest truth, her bones in her leg went straight and her back straightened. Now, it didn't go all the way. It, was, it went from here to here. Of course, now the engineer is saying, God, why'd you, why didn't you do it all the way? I, li- I mean, happy, right? But it was my first experience with the power gift with a demonized woman who had a spirit of infirmity who had been cursed by a witch. He showed me his power. First, he demonstrated it on my body. And I got it. And then he demonstrated it, that the name was powerful. So I got back from my trip. He answered that prayer. And that launched a whole new where we're going. So, all right, we've gone long. Um, let's stand. I want to thank you all for being here. Um, I, want to, I want to get into, there's a, I, I probably need to set up next week, and then the following week, uh, we'll, we'll probably use the uh, McCollum Prophetic activation. There's a there's a DVD there's a about an hour and 15 minutes. So we'll have to get probably right into it. There's an hour and 15 minute DVD that he did at Voice of the Prophets that I think is really good for where pulling together kind of where we might be. And then I want this to be more than just transformation of information, right? I want it to be revelation. So um, we're in the midst of the of the of the 15 minute fast for the next several weeks, and so if you would enter into that, but I would ask you also to just open yourself to that move of the presence of God, just to be praying, God, I, I, I want to experience the Holy Spirit. I want, I, I want to be willing to surrender to God the Holy Spirit. I want you to come, and I want you to let me experience you. Dreams, visions, unctions, You'll understand things when you read scripture. So, Lord, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would, these people have come and they've invested their time to be equipped in the prophetic. But what better way than them to experience you in the midst of the prophetic? So, I'm asking, I'm knocking on heaven's door, and I'm asking you to come and touch them. Touch them in a way that they know that you're a God that loves them and you're a God that's raising up the gifted people to reach a generation that is hurting and lost. So I thank you. Bless their families now, Lord. No fear, no intimidation, no lack, just your revelation on them, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you all for being here.